don't mean to really stir the pot, but some of you saw my Facebook post the other day, just these false prophets, and I'm not gonna get into a bunch of it, but this one lady was just saying how in heaven that there's a Christmas town and Jesus takes selfies with St. Nicholas. And if you believe that, let's have a conversation. Show it to me in scripture. <laughs> and I'm not gonna get deep into that, but one thing I do know is that heaven is real. And one thing I do know is Jesus is there. And another thing I know, I have done my best to strive to live for Christ. And I know that one day when I die, that I'm going to meet him face to face. That's what I know. And people give a lot of stories of what they're gonna do when they first get to heaven. And I think for me is I'm gonna spend the first 10,000 years on my face as soon as I get up there. It's the first 10,000 years on my face just thanking God that I made it. But I'm thankful that what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, not in Christmas town, but in glory, in all of his splendor, in all of his majesty. And that I'm going to be singing with all of my friends and all of my family and the legions of angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Aren't you thankful? Thank you.
normally do this, but I felt like I couldn't contain myself. I'm gonna finish what Pastor Nathan started. Kat Kerr is an unbalanced, mentally unstable heretic who is telling people that Jesus is in the Christmas room making toys with Nicholas. Let me tell you who he is. He's not a toy maker in a Christmas room. He is seated on the right hand of the majesty on high. He holds all things together by the word of his power. And he is alive, glorified, resurrected. is and I don't want to interrupt that 
but I was standing at the back and there's somebody in this place that you've let your circumstances become bigger than Jesus. You've let your problems become bigger than Jesus and you're serving a little toy maker in a back room. But I'm telling you that Jesus is bigger than any problem you face, any diabolical impact of the enemy. I've had discussions this week with people battling demonic forces and asked me what I thought about that. And I'll tell you that he is a name above every other name. And there's a day coming when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. He is exalted above it all. And I wanna do something we haven't done for a while. But if you're in a place that your problem is bigger than your Jesus, I want you to see Jesus bigger than your problem. And some of you are in a dark place, in a struggle place, in a beat up place. And I know this will be hard for you, but I believe there's liberty in the house. I believe the anointing of God destroys the yoke of bondage. And if you're in a place that you can't see Jesus because your problem's so big, I want you to get out from where you are right now, come down to the front, we're gonna pray for you, and God's gonna break that whole, that whole stronghold down. Come on, some of you need to come forward, and we're gonna pray for you. We're gonna believe God for that monster in front of you to become nothing. I don't serve a toy maker. I serve the Alpha and Omega. and the one who's coming back again. And he's given victory to the church. Anyone else, this is your morning. Don't stay back. Don't stay back. If you've got, a, you've got a diabolical monster in front of you, Jesus is the liberator. So I want those of you that will to come around those that are standing up front, lay your hands on them. If you came for prayer, move forward. Come on, move forward. Gather around, lay hands on them. Worthy is the lamb. When you see him high lifted up, the come crumbling down when you see him high lifted up there's victory in the house we need to see the exalted lord of glory this morning come on church magnify him it matters king of kings lord of lords all sufficient god believe for jesus to tear that down see him high lifted up this morning his glory fills the temple see him high lifted up come on magnify come on church it matters this morning there's victory in the house this
want to give you a little bit of instruction this morning in, in spiritual warfare. Do not make the mistake of giving honor to the devil. Jesus did not map territories. Jesus did not name demons. And when they tried to speak, he told them to shut their mouths. The only time he ever asked for a name is when he said, my name is Legion because we wanted, we needed to see that however many demons inhabited a physical frame, it was at the word of Jesus Christ that they all were delivered. They were all cast out. And I'm telling you, there's a move in the world today that we get infatuated with demon spirits and we get infatuated with the darkness. And then this corollary to that is to make Jesus little. When you make the devil big and you make Jesus little, you're putting the world in a place to be wrapped up in a darkness and a deception and a depression that will pave the way for the Antichrist to stand on the scene with a deception that'll sweep the globe. And I am ferociously opposed to anything that makes Jesus little. And I am ferociously opposed to anything that makes the devil big because Jesus is on the throne. So let me tell you what to do anytime, any moment that you feel like your problem is too big. You don't need to go looking for a demon and name it. You need to get back in the throne room. And when you see him high and lifted up, his glory will fill the temple. And when his glory fills the temple, I will tell you that demons have to flee in the name of Jesus. Because when we resist him, he will flee. Jesus fought with the word. Fill yourself with the power of God, with the word of God, and a revelation of Jesus, and the darkness will part, and the light will shine, and Jesus will show you the path to the freedom. One more time, together worship and sing, we exalt thee, we exalt thee. Come on church, exalt him this morning. Exalt him this morning. Come on, magnify him and exalt him. I exalt thee. Yes, I exalt thee. Oh, yes. I exalt thee. Oh, I
So I want to talk to you for a minute or two. I want to say something before I preach. <clears throat> and I, can, I, can, I can't hear thoughts. Don't misunderstand me. But I, I know people well enough that somebody's going to say to me, Pastor, why didn't you just let that go? And I'll tell you why. You have to be sensitive to what the Spirit is doing. And sometimes there are waves that crash on us and other times there's a there's a flow that raises us and I do believe there's something God wants you to get from the word and you could sense this rise of authority and power to liberate and then watch it kind of settle back down and I'm not about manipulating the Holy Spirit at all not at all but God did something for somebody this morning that we need to cherish and now we need to go to the word and I believe there's some things there that will help us. And here's what I want you to get if you don't get anything else from the message this morning. I hope you will. I prepared for you to get more than this. But I, if you don't get anything else, it's to understand this. 
the best way for the devil to defeat you, one of the best ways for the devil to defeat you is to exhaust you. He can get you so busy doing the work of the kingdom that you lose touch with the king of the kingdom. And the challenge I want to give you this morning is we have to make sure that we're healthy before we can ever provide help and wholeness, uh, hope and wholeness to a world around us. So I want to challenge you in a way that I hope will give some clarity to us this morning that while we have family time and we have supper time and we learned how to sleep through the storm by trusting our Father, that there are times when it needs to be time for you time for you to make sure that you're strong, to make sure that you're healthy, that your relationships are intact and you're doing the right thing. And sometimes the reason we get into the problems we get into and the darkness that we get into is simply because we've not taken care of our own spiritual lives. And I want to challenge you to take time for you and your relationship to God. Otherwise, you're going to end up like this church sign that's one that um, you have to read it twice to really get it. How many know there are two ways to read that? We love hurting people or we love hurting people. Where you put the pause is really, really important. Unhealthy people hurt people, hurt people. How many know that's true? Hurting people hurt people. So you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. Had a video and I just scrapped it this morning and think that we needed that. But how many of you have ever flown on an airline? And what do they tell you? They tell you a bunch of, a bunch of things. Number one, they show you how to use a seatbelt. I want to know where you've been living if you don't know how to use a seatbelt. What part of the world do you live in that you don't know how to use a seatbelt? And then they tell you a bunch of other things. The last thing I want to think about when I'm in the air is a water landing. And there's a life preserver under my seat. Are you kidding me? If that goes in the water, I'm going to try to maintain my sanity. I'm not going to blow up a vest. I'm just going to blow up in in a million pieces. I'm just going to lose that. But one of the principles they give you is, and this is another one I've imagined in my mind, that if the cabin depressurizes, oxygen masks will fall. If oxygen masks fall, I will have already had a heart attack. (laughs) I won't need to put on the mask. But what do they tell you to do? You have a child there. What's going to be your instinct? Your instinct is going to be, I hope, your instinct would be to make sure the child or the elderly or someone around you gets their mask on first and then put yours on. And that's the wrong way to approach it. You have to put yours on first so that you can maintain an awareness to be able to help those that are around you. Does that make sense to you? You've got to do that first. And so the challenge for us is we have to be spiritually whole if we're going to extend any kind of hope and wholeness. So I want to talk to you this week about me time. What is it time for? It's time for family. It's time for supper. It's time for trust of our Father. And this morning, it's time for me. One of the most misleading um, paradigms that we've ever taught our children, and you've probably been taught it as well as an adult, 
And that is that joy comes from this paradigm, Jesus first, others second, and you last. That is a ridiculous model. If you have Jesus first, others second, and you last, J, Jesus, O, others, Y is you, and your last, you will not make it. You cannot put everybody's needs ahead of your needs and stay healthy. You can't live without appropriate boundaries and stay healthy. And we've been taught this model that preferring others better than ourselves means that we're last on the chain of resource and help and refreshing. And that's backwards. Jesus is first in all things. But I'm telling you that if you have Jesus first, you will have times alone with him that will make you strong so that you can bring joy to your own life and the joy to others. So if you have posted somewhere, Jesus first, others second, you last, please throw that away because it's the cause of mental breakdown, it's a cause of stress, it's a cause of burnout, it's a cause of all kinds of frustration. Guilt comes on believers because we live by false paradigms. So Jesus himself modeled for us the need for personal time. I, um, wasn't that a great message last week? Boy, it seems like longer than a week ago, but how to sleep through the storm. And one of my favorite parts was when he asked us, why did Jesus sleep in the back of the boat? It wasn't a spiritual lesson. He fell asleep in the back of the boat on a pillow because he was tired. Jesus, when he lived on the earth, and you've got to get this for the rest to make sense. When Jesus lived on the earth, he was fully God and fully man. He laid aside the independent exercise of his deity and lived as a man fully empowered by the Holy Spirit, but fully man. And you see that in all kinds of places. The Bible tells us that after he fasted in the wilderness, he was hungry. Do you know that after he cleansed the temple, the Bible tells us in the morning, he was hungry. Why does, he, why does it tell us that? Because we need to see the humanity of Jesus as a normal human being. At Lazarus' tomb, he wept. In Mark chapter 3, he looked around at people and got angry at them. In chapter, or, or in, in Matthew chapter 4, he was tempted in the wilderness. In John chapter 4, it says he was weary and sat by a well. In Luke 10, he rejoiced. In John 12 and 13, he was troubled. He had all of the emotions and reactions that you and I have and models for us how we should live our lives in a way that will keep us healthy. And here's what I want you to get this morning. Jesus needed time to recharge. And if Jesus needed time to recharge, you and I definitely need time to recharge. The Bible says in John chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, they gathered the remnants, the, the leftovers, filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did. Now watch. They began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come to the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to take him by force and make him king, withdrew again alone to a mountain um, by himself. Now, what has happened up to that point that he would withdraw? Why would he need a refreshing? 
He's gone through the load of supernatural ministry. And before you wonder, well, did it drain him? Do you remember the woman who had the issue of blood, who touched Jesus' garment? What did Jesus say? He said, who touched me, virtue has gone out of me. And I will tell you, every time you minister, share your faith, pray for someone, and God is at work in that, something comes out of you. There's a draining, there's an emptying that happened after feeding the 5,000, and that incredible miracle, I can tell you that virtue went out of him. And the crowd came to make him the prophet, to make him the king. This is the prophet who should come. They're going to make him king. That moment is incredibly affirming to him, but it also is a shortcut to the throne. So much is happening in that story. Jesus withdrew. Why? I don't know why. I just know that he did. And I know there are times that we need to withdraw. But I'm going to suggest to you, as I read the story, some things that could have been happening. Number one, there is the temptation of the compliment and praise. We all like to be praised. My dad would say he didn't care what anybody thought about him. And you know what that told me? It told me how much he cared what people thought about him. When you say you don't care, just watch. All you've got to do is begin to tell someone how good they are and watch them begin to blossom. All of us like words of affirmation that we've done a good job. Hold up your hand if you like to be affirmed. The rest of you, we're going to put you in a corner and practice insults. How many of you like to be affirmed? We all like to be affirmed. And there's something there that I think Jesus is pointing out to us. You cannot let your life be governed and your life choices be made by the things that people affirm or say that you ought to do. You're good at this. You ought to do that. You're really good at this. You ought to do this other thing. And there comes time where as much as we enjoy the affirmation, they're saying he's the prophet. He's the man of God. He's the one that should be king. And there are times that the affirmation can be so big that you need to step away to get a clear head. I think he stepped away to get a clear head. Number two, he stepped away because I believe he saw it as a shortcut to the throne if he doesn't step away. I mean, you've got, can you imagine what kind of an army if you mobilized 5,000 men to all go get two other men? Now you're at 15,000. Get your weapons and let's gather together and let's run over Jerusalem. There could have been a coup, a political coup that would have made sense to all of them and they would have done whatever he commanded them to do, but that wasn't the pathway to the throne. It would have been an easier one. Let me ask you, would you rather have an army that overthrows Rome or or would you rather die on the cross and bring new life to the world? In the natural, every one of us would like to be the general that takes the hill, that commands the army, that puts the oppressor down. And there had to be a withdrawing from that because it was a shortcut. Don't let the devil shortcut your path to victory. Because if your path to victory has a shortcut, it will be short-lived. Also think he did, as I've already said, recharge from the draining nature of ministry. Jesus 
withdrew, and that was one of the marks of his ministry. In Gethsemane, the night before he goes into the greatest trial of his life, he brings the 11 together with him to pray, and then he moves in with Peter, James, and John a little further in, and they begin to pray. Then what does Jesus do? He goes in further by himself to be alone with God. There's some things that have to be settled between you and God alone, not by you in a prayer meeting, not even by agreeing with someone, but there are some times you need to get alone. And on that great trial of his life, Jesus, however you want to categorize this, Jesus took time for Jesus to be alone with the Father. Psych Central says, for many, alone time is a great opportunity for self-reflection, self-discovery. It also rejuvenates you by balancing your emotions and letting your body physically relax. Not only does this practice help improve your well-being, it can also improve your relationship with others. And I would add to that from a faith-based perspective, not only does this practice improve your well-being and your relationship with others, it will improve your relationship with God. There are other accounts from Forbes magazine on mental health from Clarity Clinic that all talk about the incredible value of being alone. Jesus told us to enter into our closet alone to pray. In Revelation chapter 3, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I'll bring a party. I will sup with you and you with me alone. There are times that you have to have time to be alone. I'm just going to tell you from my perspective um, as a pastor, I can't be available to everyone's desire and request and then preach the word to you on Sunday. I can't respond to every little emergency and do what God wants me to do. In fact, sometimes I used to have a sign I'd put on my door that said, do not disturb. And they interpreted that to mean just knock louder. One day I put one up that said, do not disturb unless you bring cookies. I'm sitting there and I saw a bag of cookies slide under the door. That works. That works. But now I've said, I need some alone time for prep and prayer. Don't knock on my door unless someone is in the lobby and they are, there are arterial spray hitting the wall. They're bleeding to death. Then come get me. Otherwise, deal with it. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? I know that's facetious. That may sound rude to you, and I'm sorry that you're taking it that way. You need some alone time. <laughs> we all have to have those spaces, hello, that we have alone time to hear from God and interact with God. Now, let me give you a warning. Me time can be an excuse of selfish people to feed their ego and further their selfishness. I need some me time. No, you probably need a job. I need some me time. Well, sure, I do too. When the kids are all hungry and you've got that colicky baby and everything is chaotic and, and I understand that. Yeah, there are days I need to, I wanted to say to my wife when I came home, I need some me time. And she said the same thing. And so we had to work that out. <laughs> me time is not an excuse for your selfish ego to be fed It's a time for you to set a boundary and say somewhere along the line, 
I need some space to retool and recharge. And we're all wired differently, and that comes in different ways. But there's time that you need to be alone with God. Jesus modeled me time. Second, healthy relationships depend on this me time, this personal time. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 20 to 33. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body but feeds and cares for it. Each one of you must love your wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So let's walk through that a little bit. We're told, men, that you're to love your wife the way that you love yourself. And says, no one ever hated his own body. Now, listen to me carefully. I'm not disagreeing with scripture, but I'm going to tell you that's not true. No healthy person hates their own body. No healthy person who's in the kingdom in Ephesians chapter 5 hates themselves. No believer who's walking with Jesus hates themselves. But how many of you know there are broken, damaged people outside the ark of faith, outside the place of the covenant that do hate themselves and cut themselves and hurt themselves and some end their lives, they do all kinds of self-destructive things. Those things do happen. But he is saying that if you want a healthy marriage, this is a married couple, and you want your intimate relationships to be healthy, you have to love your spouse as much as you love you. And you do love you. I believe that parents need to show children what a healthy relationship looks like. Marriage is a building block of culture in the church. And when I say that, let me, just be, let me just be open and vulnerable. There's no one here who has lived with your spouse as an unblemished model of Christ in the church. There have been times that you have been a jerk. Nod your heads. I have some examples here I could. <laughs> there are times your spouse has been incredibly difficult. There are times that you have fought over things that didn't make any sense. I um, listened to a comedian, Nate Bargetzi, who is um, clean comedy. I don't know what his faith relationship is, but he did this whole routine about as you're married you will end up in fights randomly for no apparent reason. His wife woke him up at three in the morning. Are you awake? The answer to that is yes. And something had happened that she'd been stewing on, and he said at three in the morning, we're having a blowout of a fight. And the issue isn't do you never fight? The issue is do you have a relationship that is safe enough to say we will endure? If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Has anybody done that? How many love your right hand good enough that you want to discipline it and not cut it off? So he's saying that you need to look at how you care for you and make sure that you care for your spouse in the same way. A healthy marriage is not a destination, it's a journey. You can't ever arrive at a marriage and say ours is healthy because something else is gonna happen. A healthy marriage will have unhealthy moments, but it will have the tools to get back to a healthy place. 
because there's commitment involved. Relationships require the same principles um, that make marriage work. One-on-one relationships have those same principles. So what does it mean when he says loving is your own body? Hating your body is unhealthy. You can't love your spouse or anyone else if you hate you. And I just get tired. Uh, Look, I know, I know there are things that I'm not good at. I know that. So I just don't, I try to not do those. I know that there was never any possible way I was ever going to be a center in the NBA. (laughs) So I worked on my outside shot. Then I went to golf. (laughs) Are you hearing what I'm saying? There are things that you're not going to be good at. But people that sit around all the time telling everybody how they're not good at anything are being devoured by the same kind of pride that causes someone to say they're good at everything they do. It's an ungodly focus on you and your strengths or your weaknesses and not seeing yourself in your relationship to Jesus Christ. You need to get into a place where you recognize you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a child of God. You have been gifted by him and celebrate that gifting because he crafted you in such a way to use you for his kingdom purposes. And the Bible says he who loves his wife loves himself. What's the evidence that you've loved yourself? when you can love your spouse. You have a healthy self-love when that spills out to loving someone else, to loving your spouse. So there is a problem with the difference between loving yourself and self-love, and I don't want you to misunderstand me. First, or Second Timothy warns that perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of their own selves. Romans chapter 12 says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think of yourself soberly and righteously. We are, yes, to deny ourselves and take up our cross. But here's the balance. You are not the object of your love. You are not the center of your affection. But when you're in right relation with Jesus, you will love what he has crafted and created. And if you look at those words, when it talks about unhealthy love, and healthy love. The, love. the word for loving yourself is the word agape. That means loving the way God loves. That you love yourself for what he's doing in your life and thanking him for what he's doing in you. When it talks about lovers of self, that word's phileo. Phileo means brotherly love. It's a best friend. And I'm just gonna suggest to you that if you are your own best friend, you need to spend some time with Jesus. While you need to love yourself the way he loves you, you have to also understand that doesn't mean that the world, the the sun has started to revolve around you. And the balance is, if you really love yourself, you can deny yourself 
for a higher calling. If you really love yourself, you can give yourself to what God has calling you to. I'm telling you that personal time and healthy relationships go hand in hand. Jesus modeled me time, and if you're gonna have a healthy relationship with your spouse, you have to have me time for that to happen. And here's the last piece on that that I want you to grab hold of. Your spouse cannot be your life source. You will suck all the life out of your spouse if you're looking for all of your self-worth to come from another person. My life source is not my wife. My life source is Jesus. And then when my life source is Jesus, I can love her and receive love back. But if we look to each other to be everything that we need to get through this life, we will destroy each other. And if you're a domineering person that your spouse needs to only be your friend, your spouse needs to be all tied up with you and can't have any life outside of doing it with you, you're out of balance because your life source needs to be Jesus. Hello? I'm talking to you about how to be healthy and war against the enemy, and that's making yourself strong. So Jesus withdrew, modeled it for us, and in marriage, the building block of culture in the church, we need to have some personal time. And last, I'm going to tell you that biblical community builds on personal time. One of them, an expert of the law in Matthew chapter 22, tested Jesus with this question, teacher... Which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what on this hangs all the law and the, the prophets? Let's think about what he just said. What's first? Love God with everything you have. And then what's second? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Biblical community depends on us understanding what it means to love ourselves in our relationship to God that we love above all things. Are you walking with me right now? Say, well, that sounds a little weird. That sounds like psychobabble. That's not psychobabble. That's what Jesus said. Let me say it to you again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor more than yourself. Less than yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you are emotionally, psychologically unhealthy, you can't have biblical community. You have to be okay in your own skin. And you're okay in your own skin because you love him above all things and he has crafted you for his purposes. So then, if you walk by the mirror and you go, you're out of balance. But if you're constantly running yourself down, you're out of balance. So how does that affect community? When it's all about you, you can't bond to other people. And when everything about you is broken, nobody wants to bond to you. I don't want to be around people that are broken in every aspect of life. Is there anything that's going well? How, uh, did the sun come up today? Uh, do you have water to drink? In fact, I get frustrated with some of the complaining Americans do. Some of you need to spend a week in a third world country where they spend all day trying to get water out and not die of, of, of waterborne illnesses and see how much out there we've been blessed by and get a grateful heart towards God, being thankful to him. In the, broader, in the broader community, you have to have a relationship with God, loving your neighbors yourself. The story tells is the story of the Good Samaritan. 
Doing unto others as you would have them do unto you is proactive. And when he asked the, the, the teacher of the law, who was the man's na- neighbor in the Good Samaritan? It wasn't the priest or the Levite. It was the outcast, the Samaritan, because he demonstrated his love by caring for the man who had fallen. So listen to me. Doing unto others is a proactive stance. Loving one another is a character issue. Imagine what would happen to biblical community if we honestly loved others the way we love ourselves. What if other people were really as important as you are? Then you couldn't be upset when they get accolades or rewarded above you because you would like that. Come on, help me now. Help me now. The broader Christian community. The Bible says in 1 John, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who doesn't love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? Just as a married couple show they love themselves by loving their spouse, you show you love God by loving people around you. And the call is clear over and over again. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. John chapter 13. So he, he ramps it up, not loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself, but escalating that to loving others the way Jesus loved you. Galatians chapter 5 verse 14. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James chapter 2, James tells it again. If you really fulfill the royal law, the kingly law, the royal law in Scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You're doing well. If you're going to be in biblical community, you have to be okay with you. And that requires alone time with God. So I want to end it this way. Keeping your heart right with others means taking time for you. Keeping your heart right with others means taking time for you. Don't take time to feed your selfishness. Take time to feed your soul. And if you have alone time, me time with God, you'll come out a better person. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I'm probably the only one that ever has. There have been some times I've been really angry with people. Really angry with church people. Church people sometimes are more devious than sinners. It's the truth. You can't do what I do and not see that. I'm telling you, it's the truth. I've been angry at my kids. I've been angry at my spouse, at my wife, because I was right and she was wrong. But you know what happens? If I can, if I can grab a hold of my flesh and get alone with God, all of a sudden, everybody else isn't wrong and I'm loving myself 
above others. And then he shows me how to love them as much as I love me. Is anyone hearing me right now? You can't be healthy without a right view of you and your relationship to God. So I'm saying to you, the devil wants to destroy you. Listen carefully right here. The devil wants to destroy you with an unbiblical model of humility. And that unbiblical model of humility will cause you to gravel in the dirt and tell you you're nobody. And once you believe that, the devil becomes bigger than Jesus. But if you can stay in the place to love him above everything else and to love your neighbor as much as you love you, you can stay in a healthy place and he will stay high and lifted up. And that can't happen without some alone time with God. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. So I'm calling you to some quiet time, to some time alone with God, to a place where he can touch you and speak to you. That if we're gonna have, what time is it, Mr. Fox? It's me time. I need some time alone with God. Let's stand together.
thank you for your presence in this place among your people. We know the devil wants to destroy us and beat us down and strip away from us any sense of worth. But we've been bought with a price. We are your chosen people, your chosen possession. And help us take enough time alone with you that we stay in love with you and be the people of God that you desire us to be. I ask in Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said, amen, amen, amen. Isn't God good? What a great God we serve. What a great God we serve. God bless you. Love on somebody today while you're moving out and about. Let them know you appreciate them. And enjoy some time out in the parking lot with free food and fellowship together. We serve a good God.